I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. I'm here today with Tom Dowdy, former VP and CISO at Prudential Financial and former captain, military intelligence at the U.S. Army, and an advisory board member at Security Scorecard. This interview is sponsored by Security Scorecard, the leading security rating company, which is used by more than 2,500 top companies, including Pepsi, McDonald's, Sally Mae, and many others. To learn more about Security Scorecard, visit securityscorecard.com. Tom, welcome. Great to have you with us today. Thank you. Happy to be here. You have a great background, Tom. Maybe we can kick off and you can tell us about your time at Prudential and even before that. Sure. So I had the unusual experience of being a CISO in a Fortune 100 financial services organization for 18 years, so multiple CISO lifespans. 18 of my 25 years at Prudential were as the enterprise CISO. And regardless of how you examine it, the size of the problem, complexity of the problem, the resources we put toward it, the maturity and the collaboration across what I think of and refer to openly as the CISO mafia really grew during that time and really built our ability to consider things in an interrelated way that we didn't even anticipate at the outset of my time there. I spent a few years with responsibility for the maybe generous to call it cyber program at that point. Cyber, as we think of it, was in its nascency, I think, or at least I'd reflect it that way. At Prudential Securities, when Prudential had a broker-dealer, I was the information security officer, the BSO, if you will, there from 2000 to 2005, and spent several years as an Army intelligence officer in the 90s before that with some electronic warfare and other experience that kind of indirectly led into cyber. But if you think about the idea of threat management, threat intelligence, how we address those threats in both technical and human means, those fundamentals of protecting things worth protecting didn't change. Well, Tom, you either set a record or came close because we do a lot of research. Statistically, in the Fortune 500, the average tenure is between a year and a year and a half for CISOs. And so unbelievable, the tenure that you had there. Well, a lot of that does come down to who you're fortunate enough to have working with you. This is not an endeavor that is by any means something you can take on yourself. You've got to trust smart people to do smart things and give great people room to do great things. So a lot of it is understanding how we're communicating outcomes organizationally to folks and giving them the rope with which to tie things down and help you get there. So I have to kick off here, given your background, and ask a question to put the conversation in context. We interview a lot of Fortune 500, Global 2000, large enterprise CISOs. And for the most part, Tom, we can talk about almost anything if we give the CISO the floor and we're letting them share their thought leadership instead of trying to pigeonhole them into a certain conversation. But when it comes to one topic and one topic only, the CISOs have been divided, and that would be security ratings. Some of them are very eager to talk about it. And some of them do not want to touch it and we can't bring it up. And there's nothing in the middle. And I'm just curious, why does this cause some CISOs so much consternation and others uh, welcome it? Sure. It's a great question. And I think it's also a question of what you make of it and how you tell your story. So yes, it is true that by and large, I'll speak collectively for the CISO mafia, if you will, It can be a frustration if, for instance, an external rating that was not done in any cooperation or with a full internal view of what your stack looks like, what your environment looks like, what your complete control story is, generates a proxy for that story that might not be completely informed. So there is some frustration sometimes when a CISO or a CTO or a CIO feels that they're on their heels responding to that. 
But I think it's more important to look at it from the other side of that table and look at it from the glasses mostly full perspective. At Prudential, for instance, it was always the case that large institutional customers, as an example, may have been consuming external ratings, whether they be from the security scorecard or others, and ask us to respond to them. If you're not prepared to proactively and completely describe your control strategy and your control stance, your control story, starting with pick your framework that you like, let's pick something like the NIST framework. Well, the conversation shouldn't be a slave to that. You got to be able to articulate, here's our risk taxonomy. We've identified the things that are important to us and therefore to you as a stakeholder that we're having this conversation with. All the way through, what did we invest in control-wise from the standpoint of what we should be investing in? Not everything we could be investing in, that's an important distinction. All the way through detecting and all the way through responding and ultimately recovering if we need to. So in other words, a rating has to be complemented with other maturity assessments and measurements and visibility and telemetry of your program that you think is important. So just build on to the conversation. If someone who is a stakeholder is using ratings as an entry point to the conversation, it's a positive then because you can use your complete story to build upon it. And then by the way, you can actually proactively work with the content of that rating to integrate that story into the rating to begin with. So if you look at it as an opportunity to shine the light across the ecosystem, don't get too caught up. Use it as a positive and not necessarily just lament that someone doesn't, from the outside in, at point A, understand everything that you understand from the inside to begin with. That is very helpful. Excellent insight. I'm going to go ahead and make an assumption now heading into 2024. I certainly hope this is the case for most CISOs. They're speaking to their CEO. They're speaking directly to the board. I know that's not always the case. Hopefully it is. So I want to ask you, what cybersecurity metrics and KPIs does a CISO present to its CEO and board? And how is the security team's performance measured? I think there are some standard measurements that should be important. There are some that have to do with any point in the framework or your risk taxonomy. So you want to look at some mechanical things on a management perspective that are not the same level of nuts and bolts that you're going to bring into the boardroom. So for instance, in my personal view, if you're going into the boardroom with statistics like mean time to respond, mean time to detect, that's probably a little granular. People like to do things like that. I think that, well, you should be prepared to drill down on those and explain the why and so what of what you bring into the boardroom. I think it's important to maybe start at a given level that's relatively high and then drill down based upon business activities and risks that might be salient to the board at that time and talk about maybe using a domain-based framework, explaining we are at this given maturity level measured by an outside entity that's qualified to do so, informed by your own viewpoints and control efficacy measurements that you're using at a management level. For instance, let's say in the prevent or detect domain, I'm at a given maturity level. Here's the relevance versus our business objectives and business exposures and impacts to stakeholders, including you in the boardroom that you're most concerned about. Here are the control investments on a do now, do next, do never perhaps, or do later perspective, and where we're putting resources to them. And what I'm getting at is you'll take those measurements from, I want to be this mature, here's where I am now in terms of maturity, here are the resources and trade-offs and residuals that are going to get us to where we're comfortable being. And are we good with that? Because ultimately in the boardroom, they're not going to be concerned in most cases, particularly in the large enterprise, with nuts and bolts, KPIs, certain KRIs that talk about that maturity and are we investing in the right places and what are we concerned about incrementally and why. 
But ultimately, they want to understand what's the strategy. Are we investing in the right places? How does the security strategy support the business strategy? And they're going to ask questions. Be prepared to answer them from why and so what basis. I'm curious, Tom, I wonder if this question ever comes up, but flip the other way. Are CEOs ever asking their CISOs about personal liability? We look at some of these data breach lawsuits, SolarWinds, the Uber data breach, and these issues are starting to surface. One of the key questions of the latter case is whether the company exhibited standard of due care in its day-to-day cybersecurity practices. How will this lawsuit, if it will, impact how other organizations handle cybersecurity transparency and measurement? It's interesting. I think you can look at cyber insurance or personal liability insurance, professional liability insurance somewhat separately. Starting at the organizational level with cyber insurance itself, first and foremost, it's important and critical to recognize that cyber insurance covered is not a proxy for an effective mature program that would hopefully prevent you from ever having to invoke it, right? I provide remuneration after the fact. So the appropriate amount of cyber insurance depends upon an organization's risk tolerance, frankly, the strength of their balance sheet, and to what degree are they capitalized to self-insure? How much coverage do they need for a tail event? Having the risk methodology and maturity to measure the probabilities and reasonable impacts of that tail event. And frankly, the market is maturing quite a bit in the cyberspace, but it's not as simple as go out and buy a policy for a large enterprise for that tail event. You've got to combine coverages. So the answer is not the same for every organization in terms of how much coverage is correct. It's a risk management endeavor that is not a technical cyber endeavor to make those discussions work. On the personal professional liability front, that's really generated a lot of discussion, particularly following some of the events, including the ones that you mentioned. And personally, I've not heard as much individual discussion about at the enterprise level as I have among individuals who are considering the need for that kind of personal liability insurance. I think a lot of that in my distilling that conversation across industry CISOs and CIOs does hinge significantly upon the degree to which you're regulated and what industry you may be in. That's a somewhat healthy way to look at it, but I don't think it's a complete way to look at it because that liability is not necessarily only regulatory in nature. And I don't know, maybe a couple of years down the road, retrospectively, we'll look at that not very differently from the way that other critical roles and skill sets and professions have looked at liability insurance at the individual level and have a more complete answer. But I think there are a lot of individuals that are in an exploratory mode around that question right now. Yeah, there's just so many pressure points. Let's talk about another one. The White House National Cyber Strategy shows the U.S. government will take a data-driven approach to cybersecurity across the public and private sectors. There's going to be an annual progress report on the implementation of the cyber strategy that actually measures its effectiveness. So how can cybersecurity leaders across public and private sectors ensure they have trustworthy, reliable data that actually measures their cyber resilience and effectiveness? I think to be able to do so in a common parlance, you've got to use frameworks, especially if we're talking about the White House strategy. There are absolutely ways, while I'm not a slave toward quantification and metrics and measurement as targets, I think you manage with those metrics, not only to them. You've got to have thresholds and targets, yes, but why and so what around those thresholds are really important questions and that you can adjust them based upon your risk profile. So with that said, there is a common language of framework-based maturity measurements that can be used to do so. Now, all that said, I think that that can be a step forward. But speaking for myself as a private individual for the moment anyway, before I begin my next endeavor in a couple of weeks, 
My view is that a federal, a national cybersecurity strategy could take into account perhaps in a greater sense that those that have the maturity and capability to make those measurements and speak those languages, by and large, are already doing so. I'm not sure we needed more specification to do so. There are some things that those individual enterprises, including large cap, mature, well-informed, well-collaborative enterprises with really strong cyber leaders and programs cannot do for themselves. And I think without going into greater detail, those are the types of things that the national cyber strategy can and should perhaps put some more emphasis on as opposed to focus upon those who are already prepared to and by and large doing those proper things to remain resilient individually and collectively. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Why do we keep secrets? They're mysterious, kept under lock and key, only available to a select few. But part of the problem with secrets is that they keep most of us out. What if we got rid of secrets, made everyone aware of their cyber risk, and transparency a priority? Knowing what's behind your security rating and where the data comes from not only builds trust, but restores it. In today's dangerous world of cybercrime, you need to know who you can trust in an instant the risks you face, and who you can call. Security Scorecard is the security ratings response and resilience company. Security Scorecard created the trusted, must-have standard for measuring cybersecurity. Because cyber resilience isn't built on secrets. It comes from knowing your strengths and identifying your vulnerabilities. The world needs a common language to interpret cybersecurity data and communicate risk. With accuracy and transparency, cybersecurity becomes a team sport. Know in an instant whether an organization deserves your trust and show others you deserve theirs. With 360-degree insights, you protect your organization, stay proactive, and preserve trust. To learn more, visit securityscorecard.com. And now, back to the podcast. So, Tom, I heard something slip out there. I don't know if it was intentional or unintentional, but it sounds like you're going to be doing something exciting in a couple of weeks. Anything you can share with us, or do we have to wait a couple of weeks to bring you back on? No, it's nothing that can't be shared. So a new adventure on my part, and it's the opportunity to do something in a smaller, growing enterprise and hopefully help them do that in a completely different vertical. So I'll be joining Generate Biomedicines out of the Boston area. It's their CISO shortly. And they're a really exciting organization with a great mission, helping to accelerate the drug development process by use of AI to identify new proteins and their applications in the drug development space. Really looking forward to that and joining a great team. Very exciting. We've been big advocates of CISOs pushing into smaller enterprises. I don't want to veer off track, but we'll definitely catch back up with you. So let me shift gears here to the private sector. PwC recently issued its annual CEO study, and they do a really good job. This year, it was focused on trust, and they found that 91% of business executives believe their company's ability to build and maintain trust improves the bottom line. And nearly 80% of customers said that a company's protection of consumer data is instrumental to building trust. So I'm wondering, how do you think companies are doing in terms of being transparent around their cyber risk strategies and their overall posture to maintain the trust of their customers? Well, it's an interesting question. And I think a lot of it hinges upon how proactive do you want to be? And I think by and large, to nutshell my answer is you want to be as proactive as you can about telling your control story. So if you look at without being specific about any of the guilty, so to speak, in terms of who I believe could have done it better, Organizations or companies that have had breaches or problems, particularly in the consumer space, who owned it, didn't have to restate, were accountable in the eyes of their constituents, 
can actually come out with a net positive trust at the end of it, as ironic as that sounds. And that's not to say, hey, great job, you had an issue. But the point is the converse is a problem. If you split hairs and minimize and have to restate and don't appear accountable, that actually has a significantly greater trust, accountability, and fidelity of relationship impact than the event itself that you were talking about. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people are very used to the idea that their information can be compromised through many means, and it's not a dichotomy between your information is, is out there in the world or it's not. How you are willing to stand up and be transparent isn't only in that post-event space, but I think it's really important to look at your control story, quote-unquote, and I don't mean story in anything more than a positive way, not just from the, what does it take for me to satisfy my requirements, requirements of our own internal strategy, of our regulatory exam work, of a framework that we're adhering to. Yeah, you need to do those things. But anytime you're facing a tactical choice around transparency, splitting hairs, et cetera, it's really important, I think, to play back how is this dialogue going to be continued in a year, year and a half from now? How is the stakeholder on the other side of the conversation going to respond to that, whether that's an individual consumer, whether that's an institutional customer, whether it's a regulator, whether it's the public at large? What will constitute doing the right thing? Work backwards from there. I think people get caught in the here and now sometimes. And if you think about what will engender that trust, what will define that trust retrospectively, but think about that proactively, that's not a technical answer, but it's sure a strategic and mindset-based approach that we could probably use some more of in the space. So Tom, you've been around for a while. I've been in this industry for a long time as well, going back to the mid 80s. So I want to read something to you. And this is definitely way different than anything we're used to if you go back a decade or two. A recent Scientia Institute and Security Scorecard study found that 98% of organizations globally have relationships with at least one breached third party. So the question for you is, what role should increase the transparency of cybersecurity ratings to better protect companies from this third and fourth party risk that, frankly, I'm still trying to wrap my head around? Third and fourth party risk is, of course, difficult and increasingly so. To identify is my point, and I think part of what you're getting at is, how do you whether it be enumerate that or at least qualitatively view that in a way that at least helps. Let's face it, there is some residual when you necessarily and appropriately use external services, which lets us understand that's the lifeblood of running a complete business model today, versus if that individual service were executed in-house. So what does that mean? If you tie it back to ratings and you mentioned security scorecard, taking a viewpoint that 98% number in a way that almost seems low, if you talk about what's the definition of event versus breach versus incident somewhere in the middle, et cetera. If you start with what's the given external view rating, and as we mentioned before, that begins the dialogue of, okay, now the dialogue has begun, tell me the complete control story. Those measurements can be a spark for those discussions. Ongoing due diligence requires exactly that ongoing discussion, ongoing understanding. Don't just reach out and have a conversation in terms of how things are going or what's the relevance of A, B, or C happening out in the world, whether that be a new CVE, a new impact, a new ability to pull a lever on something with that third party when they told you they had an event or they're calling you. If you're not having that proactive conversation that builds some trust, it's going to be impossible to have that same level of trust when something does start going sideways. Now, fourth party risk can sometimes be even more difficult to identify. 
I will say that when you have to go to the contract, that's an indication that something else isn't right to begin with. But I would advise everybody out there listening, be really careful about what your third party contracts allow in terms of fourth plus party activities that you might not even be aware of. It's really hard to try to measure the proactive dialogue if it's a surprise to you that a fourth plus party is even involved. Sounds silly. There are a lot of instances that we could behind the scenes talk about that people have relayed where they didn't even know the fourth party was involved. I think that's a real challenge, understanding which are third party, what those downstream rights of execution are with anyone other than them. So Tom, you've been a CISO for a long time. You took a break. You're going to be a CISO again. And I'm really curious to know when you're looking at new vendors and also even in particular security vendors, right? Because they're vendors too. So any vendor, security vendors too, what do you measure as part of your evaluation process? Well, you have to understand the flows that will be exposed to them. Not all services are created equal. Not all expectations are created equal. But you're effectively going to want to do an exam of them and understand a lot of those questions that you ask in terms of what measurements are doing, how mature is your risk process to not only identify and tell us what are the expected answers at the threshold of stepping into this arrangement, but on an ongoing basis, how are we going to maintain visibility and telemetry? If they're active workflow components and runtime components, for instance, infrastructure as a service and platform as a service to a degree, I'm going to want some of that telemetry coming into my CSOC. I need that combined with events that I'm comparing between users and systems and threat intelligence and to the degree possible. I mentioned before there's a residual. That's not just human understanding residual. Sometimes there's a technical disability residual. So on one end of the spectrum, you've got services that are technical in nature, extending your runtime, using a mosaic of services where you can get some telemetry and include that in your whole situational awareness. That's the ideal answer. Other services that might be more human in nature, that elusive word of trust does come into play. And that's not an easy answer, but the best way to engender that trust is to, again, have those conversations even when you think you don't need them and get a gauge for to what degree what you're watching is being measured so that you can get that trustworthy sense back or get a sense that, hey, maybe the trust is a bit misplaced. I need to turn the screws down a little tighter or, or think about an exit strategy in the worst case. But again, I think a common thread through all of this is if you fire and forget with those relationships when you're choosing a vendor and wait until there's a problem, whether it be a support problem or an event problem or an incident or breach problem, it's too late to try to develop that trust when you need to use it. Keep the dialogue open even when there's not a problem, so you can gauge that level of trust and trim the sales to use it at that time. Well, Tom, this was a great conversation. Really appreciate your time. Wish you the best of luck in your new position and hope you'll be coming back on with us again sometime soon. Thanks so much. Time well spent here. I appreciate it. I hope to talk to you soon. I'm Steve Morgan, founder of Cybersecurity Ventures and editor-in-chief at Cybercrime Magazine. This interview is sponsored by Security Scorecard, the leading security rating company, which is used by more than 2,500 top companies, including Pepsi, McDonald's, Sally Mae, and many others. To learn more about Security Scorecard, visit securityscorecard.com. You can keep up with all of our media at cybercrimemagazine.com.